And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? Welcome back. This is Andrew Morgans, founder of Marknology, here as today's host of Startup Hustle. We're going to be talking about community building versus traditional marketing. And before I introduce today's guest, uh, our episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Gusto. If you're a startup, this is for you. I want to tell you about Gusto. Gusto built an easier and more affordable way to manage payroll benefits and more. They help over 300,000 businesses take the pain out of tasks like automated payroll, tax filing, direct deposit, health insurance, administration, 401k, onboarding tools, you name it. Gusto makes it easy. And they really care about the small business owners they work with. Try a three-month free subscription now. Just sign up at gusto.com backslash startup hustle to get started. That's gusto.com backslash startup hustle. I am a Gusto customer, guys. So I'm not just pushing this one on you. I've been with them for about three years. Um, really just wanted to go when I'm traveling, be able to have my payroll um, function without issue and be able to grab it in the cloud. And um, Gusto was the move for me. So check out that deal. I think you guys would love it. Um, without further ado, Christian Hansen, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, super glad to have you. Um, Christian's actually calling in and lives in Montreal. And uh, I like to, that's my birthplace as well. I like to say I'm a dual citizen. Uh, being American, one of the coolest things you can be is to also be Canadian, in my opinion. So uh, it's nice having um, a fellow Montreal uh, citizen here with me. Um, you know, my sister is born in Quebec City and we go back and forth about, you know, which one's the best. So um, no I need to make it back soon. I need to make it back soon. I like there's a bunch of festivals and a friend just came back from one and was just telling me he had such a great time. So. Just give it a few months. Uh, you don't want to go right now. <laughs> I agreed. I will say I've got my gear though. I got I got my goose now. You know I, I'm ready I, for the weather. Okay, like I'm okay. I'm maybe for the first time in my life I've got like the actual winter gear to be able to do something like that. So um, I'm not looking forward to that weather. But if it happens, right, I'll be ready. Yeah. Um, but no, let's jump into, let's jump into your story. Let's jump in the show. I love like, you know, as tradition, uh, here on the show, getting to know a little bit about you, introduce you to our listeners. Um, Christian, I know you started your business slow in 2021, but before we jump into that, I'd love to know kind of before slow, um, you know, did you know you're going to be an entrepreneur? Is business something you've been trying? Like, you know, um, where's your story start? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I it's always been kind of in my blood, you know, I, I was originally born uh, in Calgary. So in the Western part of Canada. And then okay. when I was really young, like three years old, I, uh, my, my dad got a job in Dubai. And so picked up the whole family, moved us across the world. And I got to Dubai in like 2002. And it okay. was not what you might know of Dubai today, where it's just this massive bustling city of gold. Like, we didn't even have a paved road in front of my house when I first got there. It was a sandbox. And, you know, I spent the first, like, basically 15 years of, like, my prime development time growing up with this city. It was like every day there was a new building and every day there was some new mega infrastructure project. And so I feel like a huge part of my upbringing and like who I am as a human is because I feel like I grew up with one of like the fastest growing cities on the planet. And so entrepreneurship was just like natural because it was this crazy competitive new world kind of wild west final frontier of business. You said people coming from everywhere all the time, just starting things. And so the startup culture was just something that you knew and you were, you know, always excited by someone just showed up and started a new company and they do this and they do that. And so I think I was really inspired by that. I spent, you know, pretty much most of my early teens trying to sell things and anything and any, you know, anything and everything that I could sell. And, um, what, what I, was, what was dad's industry? What was he doing? He's a pilot. So he flies for, for Emirates airlines. So 
went out there when they were like just about to kind of pop off. And yeah. so it was like a great time too. You know, I've been really fortunate to travel a lot. I've been to 70 countries now because of him. And, you know, it's just like, yeah, it's, it's a huge, huge part of who I am and step by step by step, how ultimately I came to be kind of a founder and, and, and how I knew that I would be a terrible employee. And I always needed to be able to, you know, kind of own the project. I, I'm very stereotypically, you know, the kind of would rather work 100 hours a week for myself than 40 for someone else kind of person. Well, you're talking to Kindred Spirit because I couldn't agree more. Um, and quite a bit different environment than Calgary. Huge. Right. I'm speaking in generalities. Right. But in generalities, like uh, from a general perspective, um, you know, it's probably similar to like I'm in Kansas City, which we have a, a decent startup community, you know, but we're two million, including suburbs around here. Like for the most part, most of Missouri is blue collar, mm -hmm. work really hard. Um, you know, maybe you're doing a trade for yourself or something, but it's definitely not like tech innovative, like seeing entrepreneurship all the time. Um but very similar to you uh, in a different way. I was born in Montreal. My parents were there in uh, Canada for seven years learning French, um, immersion school and stuff. They wanted to be in French Africa. So um, by the time I was three, I was in uh, French Cameroon wow. and then eventually French Congo of the DRC. And um, where I wasn't peddling stuff or like, you know, making CDs and selling them, things like that. I was absolutely surrounded by side hustles and entrepreneurship. And I've seen some of the the best entrepreneurs. There's a guy named Felix Caboza, a family friend that started with like a printer, renting a printer from a print shop and stood outside the shop and like, you know, got people to print stuff for like 10 francs. Like this was like early, uh, late 90s early like 2001 is when i came back uh when i was 16 so i think i'm a little older than you but um during that time you know just watching that seeing that seeing someone just like one knowing how how grateful i am to be an american and have these opportunities and stuff like that it was always just like this blessing of perspective of like wow there's opportunity here um i can work three jobs if i want some people in africa couldn't even find a job you know so it was like if i want to work three jobs four jobs i can find them and seeing somebody turn, you know, running prints outside of a print shop to like running his own internet cafes to like owning a small hotel to his daughter being in college here. And um, he, I literally saw him do it from the bottom bootstrapped, you know, and that was one of the greatest examples, you know, I think. And I just think uh, if I had been raised in the Midwest only like uh, exposure to those types of things and those types of people, you just you can't match and, and knowing you're in fashion. I know everybody hasn't heard your exact story yet. What's what slow is. Um, but for me, growing up in all these different parts of the world, fashion was one way that I could identify unique as a unique individual. Um, you know, not necessarily where I'm from, but like a little bit of Africa, a little bit of New York, a little bit of Moscow, a little bit of the Midwest, you know, I've got a flannel on right now. Um, those things kind of shape you. And I think fashion is one of those things that when you travel the world really sticks out to you, like, you know, how, how different it is. Um, so, okay. You're in Dubai. Did you move back to start a business? Like what, 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 what happened, I guess, after those formative years in Dubai? So, yeah, I mean, and on, on that note, I completely agree. I mean, when you see entrepreneurship from nothingness, there's, it just, you just, it doesn't compete. There's nothing, there's no, there's no business school in the world that can teach you anything in a textbook that will show you anything else like that. I mean, Africa is just an unbelievable example of that. You must have some crazy stories. We could talk for I hours do. on that. I do. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I believe it or not, uh, I got a hockey scholarship to go and play hockey at a boarding school in Connecticut. And so okay. I, there was hockey in like our little Canadian community in Dubai and I was super into it growing up and it was what I wanted to do. And I just kind of maxed it out in the region. There was just no, I was 16 playing in like the men's, like the top men's league. And they were like, you got to get out of here if you ever want to try and, you know, do anything with this. And so I got lucky. I got a, I got a scholarship. I got, got to go to boarding school for my last two years of high school. I was in New England and um, then I went to university in the States and it was basically just kind of like, boom, back to North America. And I had, you know, I have family all through Canada and, you know, kind of all over, but 
I had never really lived in North America since I had been a kid. So it was like completely new world back and, you know, kind of back to square one, but I got lucky, you know, I was at a fantastic, you know, high school with like really kind of entrepreneurial kind of mindset and attitude. And then, you know, ended up kind of just carrying that through university and immediately was like, okay, I want to be a startup guy. Like, you know, I want to be Silicon Valley tech founder. Let's do it. Like, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. And didn't exactly happen that way, but it was just kind of one startup to the next to the next from, you know, screen printing t-shirts in the dorm room to, hey, I, maybe I can learn to code and sell something on the internet. And just kind of the quintessential early days that I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs. What can I do? Yeah. What, what, what are other yeah. people doing? What can I learn? How can I mirror that? Yeah. Um, so, you, you know, you were doing some side hustles during school. Totally. Um, what, you know, what was your first real attempt at, at business? At a, at a business? I would say um, it was also in fashion. I mean, basically, I'd come up with this concept that at the time, I'd, I found that there there wasn't really a reliable online marketplace for like secondhand luxury goods that could actually authenticate them. This was like kind of end of high school. And I realized there was kind of no databasing for luxury goods. And there was no way that you could really tell whether something was like a really good AAA knockoff or something that was just vintage. And so I, that was kind of my first investable company. And I was like 19, managed to get some angel investment. And I was like, I'm going to build this platform and, you know, basically built like a prototype of it, started loading things in and then got absolutely smashed with cease and desists. And that was the end of that. <laughs> it was like, over faster than I knew what to do with it. Because you're selling like, the items or because of the, I guess like what was the season assist about? Like just from the companies some themselves? Basically big tech companies that had like utility patents on kind of the concept, but just weren't using it. And there was really no like public sphere and being 19 and not really having very much money. It was like, do I go and get a lawyer and try and fight these tech companies that have, you know, big pockets? Probably not. Let's go and do something else. <laughs> And yeah, so, you know, that was like the first attempt where I was like, okay, this can be a thing. Let's do it. And yeah. kind of, you know, fizzled out. And it was in that moment where I was like, you know what, if this wasn't for me, this would have crushed me. And all it made me want to do was do the next thing more. And then I was like, okay, I'm hooked. It's like, it's like a drug. I got hit with a season to assist about, I made a shirt around sports teams. And I knew of like, you know, you can't copy, copy like trademarks or copyrights, but you can like change them a certain amount. So I knew like font can't be touching, can't be the same font type, can't be this, can't be that, you know, can't say the name. And uh, I did like a Kansas City pennant shirt. So it was like Kansas City. And at the time, our football team and our baseball team were both in the playoffs. And it was like the first time in Kansas City in a long time. It was like 2014, I think. And um, I mean, the shirt took off ESPN retweeted it like it was like my second tweet ever and they retweeted it like I just had tons of sales on Etsy it was one of my first like first things you know printing these shirts and stuff and uh I knew I had hired a designer to make the logo make sure that it wasn't in in uh violation you know and they got me for a season of sales I probably had fifteen thousand dollars in shirts bought like so for me at that time it was like a lot of inventory and um brand confusion so it was yeah. how i was marketing it online not the actual design itself it was that i was marketing it as you know can't say rose can't city chiefs penalty blah blah, blah 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 you know which is getting the searches um so brand confusion you learn you learn a lot you know kind of um and all i did i hope they're fucking listening to the show but uh i just went to the games um you know, before the games and I just peddled them in the parking lot to give them money nice. back, you know? So, nice. um, I, f I still got my money's worth, but, um, you know, it was like, even if you take all the precautions, like those big players, you got to just kind of know who you're picking a fight with and yeah, decide yeah. if that's something you want to do. Or if you're like, I'll just invent something that no one's messing with, you know? Um, so your angel investors probably didn't get that far. Did, you know, that wasn't a crush you all thing. What came next? From there, it's basically just like, okay, I'm going to get a real job just to kind of get some experience and see what's going on. And that was when I kind of got into fashion. And, um, you know, I got a job in 
sourcing, you know, because I had travel experience and was comfortable kind of going anywhere and everywhere for a really big fast fashion company that I shouldn't mention or else I'll probably get one of those cease and desist. Um, but just, you know, one of the biggest fast fashion companies on the planet. And what I did was they would just send me places and I would basically like look at factories and, you know, pick up samples and basically just wherever they needed me to go, I would go. And is that uh, a thanks dad kind of thing, because is that, is that how it works? If your dad's a pilot, like, can you really just kind of fly wherever as part of the family plan or, you know, how does that work? You can, but this was all paid travel. That was nice. Okay. Um, even better. Not any serious benefits. I was in, you know, the last row, but you know, at the end of the day it was, Hey, you're going here and Hey, you're going yeah, that's there. That's a cool so, ass job, you know? To yeah. Be, yeah. Okay. And so I was pumped. I was like, okay, this is cool. I'm going to work in fashion and it's sexy and fun. And you know, it's going to be fashion shows and models and you know, a good time. And it was just not, it was going to hell on earth and seeing like the worst of the worst manufacturing facilities, like on the planet that you apparently had to try and like find a reason that it was okay. It was like the assignment was to go there and find reasons that maybe we could kind of PR it enough to make it work. And I just got to the point where I was like, I can't sleep at night doing this. This is terrible. And that's when I was like, okay, I love this industry and I really like this fashion thing and I'm pretty good at this, but I can't do this fast fashion thing. And that's where I was like, if I'm ever going to do fashion, I need to do this slow fashion thing. And so it was like immediately from the heart, from the gut, like, okay, we got to do this and we got to fix this because this mach this machine, this big fast fashion machine is like systemically destroying the planet and like no one's really talking about it. And so from that point forward, it was like, okay, next startup, whatever it is in fashion, it's going to be fighting whatever this is. And that's really kind of the beginning of the community building story of slow and, you know, trying to be the antithesis of fast fashion. And, you know, our first slogan was fuck fast fashion. And it was like, that was the whole kind of revolutionary aspect that I think people really jumped on at the beginning was as soon as you show them, look at where your clothes are being made. They're like, oh, whoa, yeah, no, not cool. I don't like that. How do I support it? And the big problem was, for a lot of people, you know, I was like 21. I don't have $400 for a sustainable t-shirt for most of those other sustainable brands. You know, like there's been sustainable fashion brands for ages. They're just not accessible for like, like any. You can start caring about those things once you get to a certain level. But if you're not totally. at that level, you don't have, you don't have the bandwidth to care about those things. You know, exactly. it's like most people aren't getting therapy when they're out on their own trying to pay their way through college. Like, you know, if they're, you get to that after you've got your job, like you need it then. Right. But like, you know, you get it when you're like a sustained career, maybe health insurance and all these types of things. Why? Because you're just like, I couldn't think about that when I was working three jobs trying to get through college. I think totally. that's the kind of thing for a lot of us in regards to fashion. Like, and in some ways I almost like compartmentalize, you know, yeah. uh, I, would, I would compartmentalize or essentially like, you know, if, if you, the expectation is everything, right? So it's like, I would tell myself I don't like things because I know I couldn't afford them because I didn't want to desire them and not have them. So I would tell myself like, that's not for me, which is a whole other thing you have to get over if you're trying to become a wealthy entrepreneur or a wealthy businessman is like this limiting financial belief system, you know, you have if you're from the bottom. Um, but for me, that, a lot of that had to do with fashion too. Um, and I had, I, I have some great pieces. Almost all my great pieces have come from gifts. Like I, there's some kind of block for me, like purchasing stuff for myself. Um, but like, you know, I, I look to these pieces and I'm like, you know, this is actually not a depreciating asset in some regards. Like, you know, some, some really nice stuff is, you know, has resale value and goes up in worth and all different types of stuff. If you really know what you're doing. Um, but anyway, I say all of that to just say like, um, you know, fashion for me was also like growing up in Africa they had specific items, you know, not the biggest closets, but like they always dressed well and they always presented themselves well. And it was like this, like you had a staple piece, you know, a staple outfit that you went to church with or you did business with or whatever um, and kind of carried that back. And coming out of Africa for me, I went into, into high school and wasn't in sports and it was a bully, you know, hell for me in a lot of ways. I just wasn't didn't have the Doc Martens. I didn't have like, you know, the clothes, I guess, that kind of thing. And I also saw what fashion did for people to set them apart. Right. And I had this block. I'm talking about being poor and like how I think how people think about fashion. And mainly I would say it's low income people that are into fast fashion. You know, you don't see a lot of wealthier people being into fast fashion. 
it was a knowledge thing uh you know ex- access to it when growing up in the midwest like the malls are shit like the stores here are shit some of it's just options like you know before amazon and stuff there's just like what i'm gonna go get suspenders at like hot topic if i want men's suspenders that are nice like for a fit or something i remember being like what options do i have if i want a pair for like this wedding this formal wedding you know and it wasn't through like a dress yourself kind of thing you know and uh, i remember trying to look for suspenders and i was like there's literally i'm having to go to this like 9.99 store this is a joke um Anyway, I, I digress, but like I'm very passionate about this topic because for me, it was a source of it was a source of my pride, my fashion, but also a source of bullying for me. Um, we couldn't afford things like that, you know, um, the nicer things. So then you just tell yourself, you know, um, you, you ignore that maybe kids are making this or you ignore the things, you know, or whatever. It's what you have to do. You're just like, I can't care about what's happening in China or Taiwan or Vietnam or these these conditions you know you're like i just um i'm doing what i do if i'm buying from pakistan i'm buying from pakistan you know kind of thing and um i think uh i say that to not shame people that are from that environment but for them to also know that it's a it's a privilege to be able to um start to care about those things right um like warby parker where they brought eyeglasses down to a hundred bucks where people, you know, people could get them. I think of that, like kind of like sustainable fashion, finding a way to bring something that's $400 for a sustainable shirt, you know, down to a level that people can still participate um, in moving away from fast fashion, but in a way that makes a lot of sense. And I think it comes down to the storytelling. Like no one's, you know, we don't choose that restaurant where we heard that someone's a horrible owner and like, you know, spies on women or does crazy shit. We're not like, I'll go to the other Mexican restaurant. Right. And I think that's the same thing with, um, with brands and stuff is it just has to be told. It has to be told, um, building a community around it, you know? Um, cause it's a huge, 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 like thing to learn. Like I, I care about fashion and I'm still just like, what? I did you didn't know this, didn't know that, didn't know this, didn't know that. You know, I've got a team full of just like fashionistas here. Um, and young people just like showing me shit all the time and, and um, it's wide open. So I'm gonna pass it back to you. I just got I just got excited talking about that because I don't think it gets talked about enough that it's like almost this mental block you do out of necessity, you know? Oh. Um, and so, okay, so you, I, I know the company's name is Slow and that makes a lot of sense, okay? But the community part, where did the community start to form? Like whenever you you came out with that first slogan, which made me think of Boris Brekka. If you know Boris Brekka, the DJ, his like, yeah, yeah. fucking fashion. You know, exactly. Have you seen yeah. That? Okay. Yeah. Um, so, that was great. So that that was the beginning of kind of the, the you know, the, the community. That was like a small part. I mean, okay. to be honest, the 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 boom goes the dynamite moment. It completely happened by accident in the middle of COVID. And, um, basically I was, I was in Montreal and I was, I was on Saint Laurent Boulevard at our thrift shops, you know, just walking down the street and I'm like, okay, I need some jeans. You know, I'm, I'm just worn through my last jeans. Let's buy some cheap ones. I'm broke. It's the middle of COVID. No one's working, you know, doing, doing the whole thing, trying to work from home, making it work. And, uh, I went in no changing rooms because it's COVID six feet apart. You know, Canada was really strict about it. Yeah. And so I just went over to the jean section, was looking around. I'm 6'3", so I need like a pretty long inseam. So if I find an inseam that fits me, it's almost always jeans that are decent and like I normally buy. So I just grab these things out of a bin, seven bucks, toss them over, bring them home. And I'm like, okay, cool. This looks good. Some Calvin Klein jeans, sweet, $7. What a steal. I throw them on the next morning. I'm walking to the metro station. I'm trying to put my phone in my pocket and there are none. And I'm like, oh my God, these are women's jeans. One, how the hell do they fit me? Two, these are terrible. This is awful. And then like I'm actually starting to look at it and be like, wow, this is like noticeably worse than my men's jeans of the same brand and supposedly the same line and the same everything, just straight jeans. And so I had like 50 followers on TikTok at the time. I just basically downloaded the app. I was like, you know what? I need someone to rant to. And I made this video, like walking to the metro station in the snow, being like, hey, 
ladies of the world, is this legit? Like, is this actually what you deal with? Like you hear the jokes and in high school, girls joked about pockets on dresses and stuff. And you, okay, is it overhyped or what is it? Just basically tell me about it. Like, is this real? Is this, is this bad luck or is this what you deal with? And I got on the train and by the time I got off like six stops later, it had 500,000 views and like 3,000 comments and like thousands of shares. And it was going mega viral. I gained like 5,000 followers in an hour. And I was like, oh, whoa. Yeah. I struck hit a, a spark. Chord. You hit it. Yeah. You struck a chord. Yeah. And so it just, we just kind of doubled down from there. And it was like, wait, I work in fashion. I just spent a year flying around the world auditing like denim mills. I know how to make these things. If I made you jeans that had pockets and had whatever else you want them to do, tell me what you want. Just fill in this form. I made a Google form. We ended up getting 700,000 form submissions. So potential customers. Yeah. Essentially. Literally. Like just ridiculous and overnight i was like doing the math like if i converted even 10 percent of these people who just gave me an idea or a suggestion you were selling like seventy thousand units blah blah i'm like sitting there like oh my god this is this is it like this is that entrepreneurial moment i just basically been hustling for like the last five years trying to find the thing and here it is and so it was in that moment where i was like okay this is either going to be 15 minutes of fame on tiktok and that's going to be it and it's going to die out or we can make this like a brand and like we can like really run with it. And so I pulled together some people who I was kind of working with on some other projects. And I was like, man, let's make this thing happen. I got this idea. Let's do it right. Let's make it happen. And that was basically how Slow was born and the community was born. And so we were like literally born out of community engagement. I love it because that's something that like you would try to get a creator to create for you as a brand, in my opinion, like this like moment where you're like, what the fuck are these jeans? Like, you know, making a funny or like, you know, you're trying to recreate that all the time. Um, do TikTok management and stuff here too. Um, but that was just like, that was raw, organic, talking about a problem, just being like, this sucks. Um, I have a girl jean story. I was in a band, uh, toured for like six years full time before I got into e-commerce. Like just during college, I was like so in, this is like my first brand I tried to build from the album art to the shirts to all this stuff you know we were touring the U.S. like one time uh one year we played like 96 shows so you know do the math it's like that's that's a lot of shows um but this is before they had skinny jeans for dudes so 2000 like maybe 2000 like seven eight nine somewhere in there yeah. And if you wanted skinny jeans, like Paxson didn't have them, like you got girls skinny jeans and you got them probably from the buckle, like, you know, higher end jeans store, at least in the Midwest. Um, and I like, so I get the, you know, the courage. I'm just like, I'm going to do this. Like I'll make these girls jeans. And uh, they're like 150 bucks, I think, or something. Okay. Like they're like, they're expensive jeans. <clears throat> I looked great. Like, just in general, like I had, you know, it's like, cause when you're in a band, like you have this look you're going for. Okay. Like that's yeah, how you yeah, get yeah. signed or like labels are telling you to do this shit. Like you're trying to be, look like you're in a band. Right. I have these jeans on and, uh, I'm at the mall maybe then two weeks later or something, you know, you gotta get the courage to wear them. I got the, got the jeans on <clears throat> and mine, remember mine wasn't by accident. I bought these. Okay. And I'm in line <laughs> at a sandwich shop, like a subway. And there's a girl in line next to me and she's like pretty cute. And uh, I'm just like, you know, saying hi, like, what's up? I'm not super outgoing. So I was like, this is all right. I was feeling good in my pants. And uh, she's like, you know, I just wanted to let you know that I like really like your jeans. And I was like, okay, like I'm going with it. You know, I'm like, all right. And uh, she's like, I have the same pair. And I just died. Like (laughs) it went from confidence to just like, no. the sinking feeling in she your knows that they're like girls jeans and she like has them and i could have probably just rocked it but that's not how it went down i was just like Whoa. and um i took them back so that was then they came out with skinny jeans for dudes and then you know i felt much more confident but yeah, yeah. um so you were trailblazer then look at that dude i was i've been a trailblazer sometimes too early you know but uh i couldn't stick with it i couldn't stick with it either so i i went i went back but 
Um, no, just funny. Uh, funny, like the way something happens when it's by accident, like when you're looking for an idea, you're, you know, solving a problem is the way to really, um, you know, create a great business. And I want to jump into kind of where you're at now. Before I do, um, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor. Want to know what fellow founders say about Gusto? They say they now think of payroll as a 30 second job, that the website is friendly and a joy to use and that Gusto has the best support team. Whenever something comes up, you can reach out and literally less than 24 hours later, it's handled. Smart technology and friendly humans, that's pretty cool. Right now, our listeners get three months free when they go to gusto.com backslash startup hustle. Yep, three months of payroll, benefits admin, and more totally free. That's gusto.com backslash startup hustle, or just click the link in the show notes. Okay, so you brought some friends together. You're like, let's take advantage of this community that we've built. Um the first idea was it like you took like the 700 forms and kind of like, you know, let's get the averages of the ideas and, and start with like the ones that people suggested most or like kind of how did you come up with that first uh, MVP? It was tricky because it's just so much. So my one friend was he just graduated in computer engineering and I was like, hey, you want to come and work on a startup? And he's like, awesome. What are we building? Like, you know operating systems or SaaS or like, you know, AI. And I'm like, jeans. And he's like, well, I can't help you there. And I'm like, yeah, you can. Can you do anything with data? Then yeah, you can. And yeah, we basically, we built like, we just scraped these sheets for like keywords and ideas and went through as many of them as we possibly could to try and figure out like, okay, what do, what do people want? And so we spent about three and a half, four months, just like iterating on it, just like putting it in one place and making a sample, showing people the sample, getting feedback on the sample, just like back and forth. Where were you going to get the first like prototypes done? So I was like literally flying back and forth, like between Italy or India or Turkey. We hadn't decided where we were going to make them yet. And so I was also trying to find a manufacturing facility. So I was just using any connection that I had had previously and being like, Hey, do you know any denim factories that would maybe do this, that, and the other? But the problem, like the big thing was I didn't want to do it in a fast fashion way where I wanted to just like make a hundred thousand units and like hope we sold them. I was like, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it slow fashion. We're going to do it made to order. We're going to take the orders and then we're going to make them for people. So we can have like a way wider size set. We can have way more options for people, you know, gonna just, just as a whole, just open up that like almost bespoke experience for people who've never had that bespoke experience. And so I'm like going to factory to factory to factory, like, can you do this? No. Can you do this? No. Can you do this? No. And meanwhile, back in North America, they're trying to figure out what we're making and how we're going to market it. And like people are just like chomping at the bit because we've been working on this for months now, you know, since the first viral video. And finally pulled out a, a sample that everyone seemed to like. And I was in Italy and I found this basically group of like companies that they're like, oh yeah, we're like a bunch of, we're all related. It's Italy, of course. This is my brother and this is my son-in-law and blah, blah, blah. We're all tailors and we all run these little factories. And yeah, we can totally do that made to order thing. That's fine. Like we're used to that kind of thing. Sure. Not surprised. Like as someone that I didn't understand the custom like thing until I went to like Milan and just seeing everything in its original location and how they did stuff. I was like, oh, this like makes a lot more sense to me now. Totally. It's, their, it's yeah. their culture. Like, yeah, it is. It is. And and that's where I was like, okay, so cool. We also got the made in Italy thing going and like, that's fun and that's premium. And yeah, this is going to be great. And we like pressed play on the whole thing and boom, like the site broke in the first 30, like 30 seconds, like literally went up and down immediately. And I was like, oh man, that's a problem. Came back online. Our sizing system broke like immediately with like a size recommendation tool broke immediately. It was like a disastrous launch day. But anyway, we managed to, you know, put together like almost $400,000 in sales in like the first 24 hours. And it was wow. like, okay, what this a is real. that's crazy. Yeah. What, what did you launch? Like the, what was a pair of jeans? Like what, what was the launch offer? It was just basically hundred dollars. That's what we just said. 99 bucks okay. and made to order. We like pick your size. We've got all these different sizes and all these different options. We called it a soft launch too. I was like, hey, we're going to do a soft launch. I don't know how this is going to go really. We don't know. We've never really done this before. But yeah, if you want them, go for it. And it was like, boom, immediately like 4,000 sales. And I was like, holy shit. Okay. Yeah. And like we hadn't spent a dollar on ads 
we had done nothing. It was just TikToks. Just months, months of community building. Though. Exactly, exactly. And so at and at that point, a lot more things went wrong, and the literal definition of startup hustle started, where it was just like months of problem solving and putting out fires and realizing why no one on earth was doing a made-to-order fashion brand because it just could those five ta- those five family tailors did they were they expecting four thousand orders? No, no. No, neither were we. And, you know, we bit off way more than we probably should have. And they were really confident. They said all the right things. And I, you know, in hindsight, I now realize they were totally not prepared for it because I have so much more knowledge now than I did. But it was very much the kind of, you know, without generalizing too much, I love the Italian people. But they're they're so relaxed. It's, it's slow. fine. Don't yeah. worry about it. Like, let's go for dinner and talk about it. It's okay. Everything's cool. Yeah, it was not cool. <laughs> yeah, but, I uh, I get exactly what you're saying. Like, you know, yeah. and um, I was just in Colombia, the country, for five weeks. Wow, nice. Cartagena. It was a great trip, and I just worked and got ahead, and like kind of stayed in the villa, like got some sunshine, and just worked. Sweet. Like that's kind of been a thing I've been doing through Q four. Like Q four craziness of an agency is just wild. So like, yeah, yeah. I just try to like get somewhere really like you know slow like that, and um, you know it was uh, there's just like the people they're like not working like we work. You know they're just like they kind of move slower. It was just a reminder like there's some places on earth that move a lot slower. Um, yeah. so yeah, if they're your production line, you know, uh, that's a problem, right? Yeah. So, um, okay. So that was, uh, that was like production round one in the launch one work through problems. You know, where did you end up? Like, did you have to change the model of like, this is why no one does fashion like this. And you guys have had to change up the way you're doing, you know, made to order. Are you guys still doing made to order? Have you like solved that? Basically, I just realized like the only way you can do made to order is if you build it yourself. And so I'm actually I'm actually in Turkey right now. I'm in Istanbul. Um, And so I just like about eight months ago, I was like, if this is going to work, if we're going to make this concept work, we need our own factory. We need our own logistics. We need our own fulfillment. Like I have I have 13,000 SKUs and I make five styles of jeans like it's ridiculous. There's not a single 3PL on the planet that will touch it. You know, you couldn't do any sort of fulfillment with any other platform. It's like, it's next level complicated. And so I was like, the only way this is going to work is if we build our own software, we build our own factory, we build our own things. And so I just started flying around the world again, looking for places, went back to some of those original places, looked at all the startup costs, figure out what we could do and landed on, on Istanbul. And bought a big old fast fashion factory have now converted it into a slow fashion factory and uh yeah we're now doing made to order completely in our own facility and we've cut like our production time down by like 300 percent. it's like night and day i'm that's amazing we're we're, we're there now finally <laughs> that's amazing i went to uh Istanbul for the first time in 2020 okay um and 2021 um took my dad there for a health thing, you know, try to get him taken care of. But yeah. uh, it was a beautiful, I was there a week at a time. It was a beautiful city. Um, one with cool so place. much history and everything. Yeah, incredible. I ended up finding myself in a, um, in a mosque service or like a on yeah. accident. I was just kind of touring it. And then uh, all of a sudden I was just in the middle of a service and uh, it was pretty beautiful. It's a pretty beautiful thing to experience. I just never thought I would be, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But just, absolutely cool um and it's surprising like you know to really be a disruptor you really have to do you know a lot of times you have to do the whole thing yourself your own way totally it's like i look at it and you know so many people in the industry just think we're insane they're like no no brand has their own factory no brand does have their own factory everyone contracts things out to everybody it's just it's the easier more risk-free thing to do And it's like, look, man, like if we actually want to do this thing that goes completely against the status quo that is fast fashion, we can't go and like work in fast fashion factories. It's the definition of square peg round hole. It's just not going to work. 
And so it was, it's, it was scary and kind of wild. And it was like, boom, Hey, okay, I'm moving to Turkey and I'm going to spend like three months, you know, full on HGTV style, renovating a factory. And, you know, it was wild. It's like the craziest thing I've ever done in my life, but it's, as of like two weeks ago, operational. So I'm feeling super. Congratulations! Pumped Congratulations! Thanks. What time is it there now? Uh, like it's ten. Just it's fifteen past midnight. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks for staying up late for the show. I no I didn't know. Um, but this is an absolute amazing story. I definitely have to follow you on TikTok. Um, I gotta see where this thing goes. I feel like you're really just getting started. Um, feels like you're you know you're really doing something that. No one, no one's taken it on yet. And I think uh, I'm someone that can relate to that. And that when I started doing Amazon and really helping brands, not just sell product, not just wholesale, not just resell, but like build a brand, mm-hmm. go international, go national for the local brands, um, set yourself up for an exit, how to really conquer e-commerce. Like, you know, um, everyone thought I was effing crazy too. So, you know, here we are, here we are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, I don't think you're too early. That's a good thing. You know, people like one thing, like I think I was a little too early in my industry. People just didn't get it. But I think people can 100% get on board and understand like, yeah, I'll wait two weeks. I'll wait whatever to get a custom, you know, a custom piece made to order versus um, just getting some fast fashion off the shelf. You know, that fa- the fast fashion stuff doesn't fit me anyway. So uh, that's the huge thing. Like you've nailed it. It's like the question I ask people on that all the time is like, how much of your closet do you actually wear? Like what percentage of it? And though, you know, they'll usually go oh, like, I ask everyone this question. Actually, I ask you the question, how much of your closet do you actually wear? Me? Probably. Yeah. I'm actually kind of good. Okay. Like I'm a minimalist, okay. but my closet is the one thing that's not a minimalist closet because I like fashion. Okay. It's like my, where I allow myself to be. Fair whatever. enough. Fair enough. Um, I actually give a lot of my stuff away uh, okay. because I have little brother from big brothers big sisters i have like some younger people that work with me um and my dad uh's family lives in istanbul and um so i i have like i don't feel wasteful okay and so i'll like buy stuff and i give it out i know that they'll i know that they benefit from it but in general even with even with that like meaning like i try to maintain it i try not to keep stuff i haven't worn in a year um you know it's probably a fourth of the closet. There you go. That's that's usually around what I get, about twenty five percent. And it's like the question that I follow up with is like, okay, say you've got a meeting tomorrow, or you're going on a you know going out to dinner with an old friend or a date or something like that. I guarantee that if I gave you thirty seconds, you could pick out the outfit in your mind that you would probably want to wear. And then the question is why. And nine out of ten times, if not ten out of ten times, it's because it fits. It feels it's the good. confidence. It's, the it's confidence. like. You put that shirt on and you're like, it just hugs all the right places and, you know, it doesn't touch all the wrong places. And exactly that. It's fast fashion doesn't work anymore because what they're doing with size sets is they're just shrinking them. Everything is about mass standardization. Like we used to even have more sizing diversification between markets. Like the Canadian market had a size set and the American market had a size set because very different people. Not anymore. Now it's North America size sets. And then there was size sets for, you know, India versus East Asia. A lot of the brands now it's just Asian size set. It's like, how do we make these size sets as small as possible, as standardized as possible, and hope that as many people as possible fit into them? It doesn't work. And, you know, going back to what you're talking about before, kind of about, you know, privilege of, you know, thinking about some of these different things talking about the way that wealthy people dress or even thinking going to places like Africa or places that like Italy that do custom, why do those people look so sharp? It's not the quality of the fabric. It's not the quality of what they're doing. Not cheap. It just fits like rich people look rich because their clothes fit. You're right. But you know how much it costs? It costs me more to tailor a suit from express than to buy the suit. Totally. Totally. And so it's like when everything's off the rack, it doesn't make you feel good. Yeah, it's a one size fits all, you know. Totally. And I'm six three, yep. long arms, you know, yeah. uh, like so lengthy arms. I feel um, you. You know, I'm that European fit kind of, yeah. you know, where it's like lean. I don't want it to swallow me, but like might have to get a larger XL for it to be long enough, especially if we wash it and I'm not dry cleaning. Which I, who's going to dry clean H and M or Zara? You know what I mean? Like I'm not. Yeah, exactly. um, yeah. 
And so then it becomes why well, stick to certain brands that, you know, don't shrink or that are the longer fit or whatever. Well, that really limits my um, options if I'm looking to see what fits me right and what, you know, um, that's something that, so it was always like the clothes I could afford were ones that didn't hold up well. And so as soon as they shrink up or whatever, I don't feel comfortable in them. You're not wearing, you know, and what I love about clothing is, is, um, it gives people confidence. Like it's all about that. Like, you know, you're comfortable in your fit, like, right. And if you've got a good haircut or you've got a good pair of jeans, make your butt look good. Or like, you know, whatever it is, like makes your shoulders, your arms, you're like, Oh, this fits my arms. Well, um, you know, that's what it's about. You're giving people confidence. Like, you know, I've read so much about uh, women's bra sizes being horrible. Like, you know, just ultimately, like, it's like they're trying to fit them all into like a few sizes, right? You know, one size fits all or whatever. And it's just not supportive. It doesn't make them feel great. Like, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so maybe that's your next adventure. But, you know, that's something that I've definitely... Um, heard and you know as the u.s is like it's a matter of number of years before like you know we're more hispanic than english i think like you know that's happening and um there's a height difference there too right so um you know you travel the world and you're in some places where like the counter is up to my knees like it's crazy like you're bending over for everything right and then um you know, so you're, you're right. You're talking about the standardization. You know, I've been watching shows like the three Musketeers, like on this Columbia trip, like old vintage where they just dress like super baller, right? They're in these yeah, like, yeah, yeah. three piece suit type, I don't know, but musketeer type fits. Right. But they just yeah. look so classy. Like they look oh. like the Peaky Blinders, whatever, like they look so classy. Um, and, but it used to be like, if I've had a couple of fitted suits, like where I had it like fit where like I could play basketball in that thing. because of like how it fits right like and i think yeah yeah it feels like part of your body and i think you know uh, the closer we can get to that the more confident people are feeling you're not only creating a business but you know putting a smile on people's faces and making them feel confident and stuff i just i love that i really do i appreciate it i mean it's just like for us it's and it's this is where more fashion people think we're crazy like for example fast fashion size set for denim on average nine sizes so they'll usually do for men you know kind of go through like 24 through 38 kind of max and usually like lengths will just increase and if you have a weird size like let's say 33 you know 31 33 you're not finding those like they're rarely in stock you know especially if you're a guy that say like even like my brother my brother's like a he's a college basketball player and he's got like he's got thighs and he's got like he's got just the athlete ass cannot find jeans whatsoever because his waist is small but he needs basically like the hips of like a, a woman's jean but then his thighs don't fit properly it's a, it's a mess so it's he a- has to wear he has to wear casual shit or like dress down Doggers. typically or or he's wearing athleisure not by choice but by necessity kind of and and that's what lots of women if not almost all women deal with on a daily basis because we're now at the point where the average american woman is the largest size in a standardized size set. So goes up a few pounds, no longer fits in a standard size set. Like that's a very mentally they're shaming too. Thing. Yeah, like, they're shaming too. That's in. awful. And so for us it was like, okay, screw that. They have nine sizes, I have 400 sizes. And so that's it's like you give me your you give me your measurements, I match you. So that's crazy. you got weird waist to hip ratio. Cool. You got big thighs. Cool. You need a long inseam. Cool. Like it is what it is. It doesn't change anything because we can do them made to order. And so it's like that to me is how all of our staples should be because you shouldn't be throwing your jeans away in six months because they ripped because they didn't fit properly. And so as a result, you know, they were too tight in the thigh and you tore through them and now they're in a landfill. We can save so much waste so much carbon, so many, you know, broken hearts and people looking at themselves in the mirror and feeling bad about themselves just from fixing the sizing issue. Like how often do you hear people say, I love buying pants. Everyone hates buying pants. It's this like huge, massive problem that if you surveyed 10 people, nine out of 10 would say, I hate buying pants yet. No one's trying to fix it. Well, I'm working on it, but hey. <laughs> I love it. I think it's because I go to a place and if you're asking for help at those places, they're typically putting me in something that I don't feel fits right. Like, you know, I'm like, 
and I'm asking for help and they're putting me in it. And I'm like, this is what you have to offer, but this is not what fits me. Right. I guess I settle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And settling means it's probably going to end up in the 75% of the closet. Because you're going to wear it for that one event you had to buy it for. Yeah. And whatever. That's the reason you're there probably, you know, and then you're going to put it back. Yeah. Totally. And, you know, it leads to things like, you know, like jeans is, I can use the best quality fabric in the world, you know, great manufacturing, make the highest quality jean I possibly can. Even like we're talking about like raw denim. They're not, you're not designed to wear them every single day, you know, the reality. And so what happens to a lot of people too, is they find that one pair of pants they love and so they wear it every day. And six months later, it's destroyed and it's gone. And that's it. That's the end of it. When the reality is if people had three or four, you know, outfits that fit them well, and they're cycling through those things, that six month lifespan is now lasting them, you know, two years, three years, four years, if not, you know, way more than that. And so it's like a healthy closet, a healthy staple closet of things that fit you well is really good for the planet as much as it's good for the soul, you know, and that's where it's like, that's our bread and butter. And that's the whole reason we're doing what we're doing. Well, I can tell you care a lot. And I think, uh, you know, the community probably knows that. And that's why, you know, you're taking off. So I'm, I'm excited to watch your journey. Thanks for Thank sharing you. what you've, you've you accomplished so, so far. Thanks for staying up late for the show. Um, once again, today's episode of Startup Puzzle is sponsored by Gusto. If you are looking for an all-in-one HR platform, it's time to check out Gusto. You have everything you need in just a few clicks of a button. You'll even get three months free when you go to gusto.com backslash startup hustle. That's gusto.com backslash startup hustle. Or find a link in our show notes. Go switch to Gusto so your small company can offer big-time benefits without an HR department. Um, tell me just as we close out, Christian, um, where can people contact you? Where can they follow you on TikTok? Uh, I'll have the... I'll have the the links in the show notes, but for anybody listening in, how can they um, connect with you guys in slow jeans? Easiest way is just to pop on our website. Everything's there. It's super simple. It's just slow.is, S-L-O.is. And yeah, you can pop on over there. We've got all of our social links. My email's there. Feel free to reach out anytime if you want to chat. Um, we try to keep the community engagement on all channels. And yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Thank you, Christian. I'll let you uh, get to sleep or at least get back to work. Probably. Um, We got to stay in touch. It's been a pleasure. Hey, thanks. I really appreciate it. See you, buddy. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button. Then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. We do it.